So, we're talking about God's goodness. And uh, the way I've chosen to do this is rather than sort of give some sort of theological lecture on what God's goodness is, um, because we're talking about mental health, I thought what we need is to know God's goodness. So I've picked a Bible passage that speaks to me about uh, that encounter with God's goodness. So it's a passage in Luke chapter 10, and it's about Mary and Martha. So I'm just going to read it, Uh, and I'm reading from the ESV. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. There's one thing that's necessary. Mary has chosen the good. She has chosen the good. As I say, we could think about God's goodness uh, as if it were an intellectual exercise, some facts about God. He is everywhere. He knows everything. He's all-powerful. He is wise. And on that list, he is good. But then it would be a fact out there a fact on a board that we sort of assent to. But it needs to be a fact in here and in here. It needs to be true there. How does God's goodness make a difference in the situation of mental illness? Now, I'm not an expert on mental illness. So I'm going to be very careful about what I say. But if you're suffering in your mind, if you're struggling in your mind, where is God in that? Is it only the miracle that God will do to help our suffering? Is that how God's goodness works in that situation? If we're suffering in that way, and if we're still suffering after we've asked, then what? Is God not there? Is he not good? What I'm going to suggest to you tonight is that when our minds go bad, what matters is that we fix our eyes on the fact that God is good. Let me tell you about the three monkeys. There are three monkeys walking on a tightrope. And at the front is the monkey called Fact. And behind the monkey called Fact, there is a monkey called Faith. And behind the monkey called Faith, there's a monkey called Feelings. And Faith, as he walks on the tightrope, he has to keep looking ahead at the fact of God's goodness. If he doesn't do that, and he turns around and looks for feelings, he'll fall off. 
faith will fall off the tightrope. But so long as he looks at fact, as long as faith looks at fact, as he follows the fact of God's goodness, then somewhere behind, feelings will come along. When our minds are going wrong, we need to fix our minds, fix our eyes on God's goodness. So I'm not using Mary and Martha now as if one of them was mentally ill. I'm not going to try and that, that at all. <laughs> but Mary fixes her eyes on the one thing that matters while her sister makes a fine meal. And Mary has the good portion, as it said in that. Now, uh, a few years ago, perhaps five, six, when I was a student, uh, quite young, Yes? Okay, it was a joke. It was a dad joke, yes. Kath and I were talking about it on the way up. Dad jokes are the ones where the dad laughs at them, and that's it. Yikes. Anyway, when I was a student, uh, a friend of mine came into my... We shared a house. He came into my student room, and he found me uh, having drunk a bottle of whiskey under the table in my room, crying listening to loud music. Uh, and I wanted to listen to the sorts of music that I was listening to at the time. At the time, that sort of thing really connected with me. 
because people do run in circles, running around doing things and not knowing why they do them. I couldn't work that out. I was brought up in a Christian home. I was brought up in a good Christian home. Good Christian parents. But I have to say that that sort of stuff touched me in a way that I didn't get touched in church. Because in church, everything's neat and tidy. Everything's good on the outside. Just before Christmas, I was in the foyer here. And uh, I wasn't feeling too good. And a friend of mine came in and I said, Happy Christmas. And he said, oh, goodness, Tim, say it like you mean it. And I, I couldn't. I couldn't at the time. So I apologized for being miserable, and he left me alone. <laughs> In church, you know, there is that kind of pressure to be all right. Um, but very often, we're not. And the world is a mad place. It is a broken place. People running around in circles not knowing why they're doing what they're doing. About 12 years ago, I was given a new role at work. I was put in charge of a project, uh, looking after about uh, 12 people who were doing some work on this project. Uh, it was a new role. It was a lot of pressure. Uh, I was put in charge because of my sort of people skills. I was you know, I was good at looking after engineers, and they need looking after. <laughs> uh, not particularly because I had the technical skills in this particular area. So they gave me a second in command, a Mr. X, I will call him. Mr. X came alongside. He was technically good. He knew about the things that uh, we were doing. And his role was there was really to support me uh, as I led the team. But Mr. X wanted my job. Mr. X had a big inferiority complex himself. And he constantly undermined me. He embarrassed me in meetings week after week. This lasted for three years. And I complained to my boss, who didn't support me. I complained to human resources, uh, who didn't support me. And in the end, they said, well, we can move you. We realize it's him who's causing the trouble, but we can move you out of this. We'll put you back where you were, down there in the organization. That was what I had to live with for three years. And that pressure, that pressure was enormous. Um, I developed quite a destructive kind of temper, broke one or two things around the house as the stress got to me. At one point, well, for quite a while, actually, I was waking up in a morning, literally feeling like I was covered in lead, like my whole being was just weighted down with lead. And I would walk around day after day, just wanting to cry. I just needed to cry. Let me cry all the time. It really did hurt. In fact, it almost made me numb. So in the end, uh, we spotted that this was quite significant, and I went to the doctor. And uh, one of the things that I did, so he gave me some drugs, which didn't really work particularly well for me, uh, but I did some CBT, uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, and uh, 
I had a flick through this book. In fact, I brought it with me, if anybody wants to have a little look at this. I have to say, I didn't read it cover to cover. I kind of flicked through it and picked up some useful things. This guy's a Christian. I'm not supposed to feel like this as a Christian. So that's just not true, actually. That's rubbish. We all get broken. We're living in a broken, mad world. And the world impacts us. It hurts us and harms us. So, you know, when I was listening to uh, that music, It's a Mad, Mad World, I don't think I knew back then that I shouldn't trust my feelings. But doing this sort of thing helped me think that I don't have to simply trust my feelings. My feelings very often are not truthful. Instead, I need to look at the facts. Hence the three, the three monkeys. And uh, nowadays, nowadays I still struggle to some extent. I'm a lot better than I was. Uh, but I do still struggle with these things. I tend not to talk of illness. I tend not to talk of depression. I don't want to label myself or my experience. That's not the point, so far as I can see. But I don't want to label myself, partly because I can't point at the sickness. If I have a physical illness, a broken arm or a rash, I can point at it. And we can say, there, Tim's got that illness. But I don't feel that's... I don't feel that's fair when I'm in situations that are putting pressure on me. It's more than just my illness, isn't it? It's happening because there's a mad world. Maybe even a mad church. So as a Christian, I go through some hard things. And it really does strain me. Even Jesus wept. So... Often it's the situation that we're in that can be tough. Relationships can be hard. And that's another reason why I picked Mary and Martha. Because there's a relationship there. It's not just Jesus teaching one person, but there's a situation, there's a dynamic. And I think that can be very important in these things. So, Let's turn to that passage that speaks to me. And as I look at it, you know, I'm someone who is seeking. I'm someone who's on the journey. So we'll read it again now. We'll read it with it on the screen. It's only two slides, not many verses. But we'll have it twice. I, I realized, actually, I've got, you know, you know, some people have five things when they speak. <laughs> well, I've got five verses. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite the same, is it? Uh, so Luke ten thirty eight. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed into her, in, him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. She was doing the good thing. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her, 
then to help me? But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Just to say, I know there are some textual variations in that, and in your Bible it might be saying there are a few things that are necessary, but only one's important. It might not talk about good portion, but I think this is a a very good translation, so that's why I'm using it. Uh, I can't remember what comes next. Ah, right, so I browsed the internet and looked for some pictures. Here we go. Um, It's always nice to see photos from the first century. Martha's the one stood in the middle. They do look like sisters, don't they? I thought that was pretty good on this one. Uh, She does look like she's going to murder that bull. And I I do think Jesus has got nice hair. And in this one as well. I mean, lovely beard as well. It's all very stylized, isn't it? She looks more grumpy in that one. This one's interesting. A bit older. Martha's having a go at Mary there, isn't she? And there's other people around. Well, there quite possibly were other people around. Uh, How about a cubist style? Okay. The one on the left is Martha with the the basket of stuff and the teapot or whatever it is. Jesus is in the middle holding up his hand saying, Stop, Martha! Because Martha's having a good old whinge and then Mary is the humble one at the bottom with a dove descending on her. Interesting insights in that one. Uh, This one I quite liked. I like this one. We'll leave this one up just because it seems less, uh, I don't know, just seems more straightforward. Mary in this one looks like the younger sister, probably was the younger sister. Martha was in charge. Now imagine... Imagine you and your sister invite somebody round for tea and you want to make them a nice meal and your sister sits there and chats with the visitor. That's good, isn't it? And you get busy in the kitchen. That's fine, isn't it? Which you're happy to do, you know. And then you ask your sister to lay the table and put the drinks out and then the visitor says, Whoa! You're too busy. Forget that. Forget the food. Come and sit down. That's the sort of thing that we think might be going on. It's not. Maybe you hear this story and you think, God's telling me to slow down. I shouldn't be so busy. If I'm too busy, then I won't walk close enough with Jesus. And we think the moral of this story is that if we're busy people, then we need to slow down and stop. But it isn't, isn't that simple. Jesus didn't actually tell Martha she had to slow down and stop. There's more to it than that. We can easily think that Martha is a bit spiritually weak. We can easily think that she's sort of, you know, not very good really. She's so busy. Now there's a lot in John chapter 11 about Mary and Martha... Because that's the chapter where Mary and Martha welcome Jesus and he comes to 
raise Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus is their brother. He's been dead for four days. And Jesus raises him from the dead. And it is Martha who runs out to welcome Jesus on his way to them. And she, although she knows that her brother has been dead for four days and the body is rotting in the grave and will smell, even then she looks to Jesus with hope that he will do something miraculous. Martha is a great woman of faith. She really believes in Jesus. She says, you are the son of God. Like the apostle Peter, she declares that Jesus is the Messiah. She is an impressive woman, full of faith, proactive, keen to serve. She invites him into the home. She wants to serve him. She is, Martha is a great disciple. And she's a leader. When she hears that Jesus is coming, she's up and she's off. She's out there. She's in charge. She does all the talking. She's a busy kind of person. She's servant-hearted. She loves Jesus. Jesus loves her. And it's wonderful that when it comes to this crunch point, he is so gentle with her. Martha, you're so anxious and troubled. But Mary is much less active. She stays at home in the background while Martha is up and off. She hardly says anything in these chapters. She waits for Martha to take the lead. She doesn't cook the meals. Her sister does. She lets her sister invite Jesus into the home. Maybe Mary is a bit shy. But you know, Mary is that woman in John's Gospel who took an expensive jar, a very expensive jar of perfume and anointed Jesus' feet wiping his feet with her hair. Mary's action was focused on pure worship. And Jesus said her action would be remembered forever. They are two very different people, two disciples. We are all different people. And that's fine. And the moral of the story can't simply be that we all ought to be more like Mary and not so much like Martha. That's not the moral. Martha is fine being who she is. And Mary is fine being who she is. If the world was full of Marys, who would ever take the initiative? Who would cook the meals? (laughs) Who would do all the organizing? Who would actually invite Jesus into the house so that Mary could sit at his feet all evening? So what happens with Martha? She is distracted. Really? She is distracted by serving Jesus? What? Distracted from Jesus by serving Jesus. Our activity can distract our heart. She became anxious and troubled about many things. 
does God ask us to take on so much busyness that we haven't got space in our hearts to worship Jesus in our busyness? Jesus didn't tell her to stop. She'd taken on too much. Maybe she was trying to make a big meal, a grand show. She's a very accomplished woman. Maybe she was aiming to impress. Wow, Martha, I didn't know you could do it. Maybe there's a bit of pride sneaking into Martha. She was more concerned about what she could achieve for Jesus than what Jesus was doing for the world. And Jesus let Martha get on with it. But he did step in when Martha tried to deprive Mary of the good. And when you're taking on so much serving for Jesus, perhaps he will let you. But if your concern over achievements leads you to distract others from Jesus, then maybe you will feel his reprimand. Do you ever tell God what's wrong with other people? Or at least feel it in your heart. God, what's wrong with these people? Well, Martha did. Martha did. Do you not care? She knows better than Jesus about what he should care about. She knows what God's care looks like. She knows it better than the one who gave his life for the world. And then she tells him, Jesus, you need to tell her to help me. It didn't even occur to her that she was in the wrong. Could we be like that? Martha had become distracted, leading her to be troubled and anxious. And finally, to knowing better than Jesus... What should be happening? And it all happened when she became distracted in here. On the outside, she was looking great. What a servant, doing what Jesus had commanded people like her to do. Obedient, faithful, committed. On the outside, she is A-grade disciple. But actually, on the inside, she was distracted from Jesus. And Jesus knew it. Jesus knew it. This story isn't simply about good manners and hospitality and helping in the house. This story is a spiritual story that is absolutely relevant for each of us here today. Because we're not talking about a house guest. We're talking about Jesus. The way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father but by Jesus. Nothing is more important than coming to God. This is where it impacts our minds. To come to Jesus is to come to God's goodness. Jesus came from heaven, the Son 
of God. He is the image, the exact representation of Almighty God. Jesus walked through suffering, a man of sorrows, and he came through the other side alive and wonderful. And Jesus shows us that God is reliable, God is faithful, God is good. Jesus didn't tell Martha to stop cooking and sit at his feet. He reminded her that the better part of serving is doing it in love for Jesus. As you and I serve God, unless in serving him we are worshipping him in our hearts, then our service is in danger of being marred by sin. So for people like me, okay, who get damaged in their heads with bad feelings and bad thoughts, there is one thing that is necessary. And that one thing is to fix my eyes on God's goodness as Mary did. That's the thing. I need to focus on the truth of God revealed in Jesus Christ. That's the thing. That's what Mary did. And perhaps what Martha could have done while serving, of course, why not? There's a great verse in Psalm 27, which picks up, or preceded, let's say, this thought of one thing. You might know it. Psalm 27, verse 4, just as... Mary had the one thing that was good. So Psalm 27 verse 4, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Like the monkey in the middle, keeping an eye on what God's goodness is. He's reliable, faithful, good. And this is what I look at when my mind is broken. The world, this mad world, is distracted from Jesus. This mad world with people running around, doing things and not even knowing why they're doing them. It's a troubled and anxious place. People running circles, busy without knowing why. Ah, Martha fell into that. Busy and had forgotten why. When we're aware that we're in this mad world, let's remember that one thing that matters, the good thing. But hey, even great disciples like Martha, even great disciples, our dear brothers and sisters, can become distracted. Just as Martha became troubled and anxious, our brothers and sisters can become troubled and anxious and tell us how to love Jesus. 
my advice as a man who struggles in his mind, don't let anyone tell you how to love Jesus. Don't let them distract you. You don't have to get up and run in circles. You love him just the way you want to. If all you do in your life is quietly pour the perfume of your love on the feet of the Savior, if that's all you ever do is to pour the perfume of your love at the feet of the Savior, who knows? The world might yet be changed forever because of your worship. Don't let anyone distract you from that good thing, that one thing. You don't have to get up and run in circles in this mad world. Rest in him. Allow your spirit, your mind, your thoughts to rest, to be at peace because God has shown you how much he loves you, how much he has given himself. He has just given himself freely. He didn't have to do what he did. But he came. He gives freely. And all we need to be is resting at his feet, just worshipping him, loving him. That's the one thing. That's the good portion will never, never be taken from you.